I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare anyone? Hi, listeners. Elise here to remind you of all the ways you can support the podcast and the work that Courtney and I do. First up, we have a Patreon. Our Patreon patrons receive exclusive bonus content. Every month, we do a roundup of Shakespeare-related content we have found online. We also share Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes of the podcast. These look like extended versions of episodes you've heard here, collaborations with other Shakespeare podcasters, and Courtney and I doing reviews of Shakespeare-adjacent media, like TV shows, movies, and books that are inspired by or loosely based on Shakespeare and Shakespeare plays. Patreon patrons also receive snail mail from the podcast, and some levels even vote on future episodes of our podcast. If you are interested in checking out our Patreon or just the Shakespeare-related names we've given the tiers of support, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link is also in our episode description. After you've done that, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertising. Thank you so much for all of the support you give the podcast. Now, on to the episode. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Elise. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well today. Oh, great. Yeah. Me too. It's a really great day. I'm so excited for the conversation that everybody's about to listen to. One, this is our first ever like panel episode. Mm -hmm. So whole new format for us, keeping things fresh after three years of podcasting. podcasting. And I'm just really excited for this group that we've got together today to talk about Shakespeare and social media. Yes, same. A lot of the work we do here at Shakespeare Anyone is quite academic and quite serious in nature. And this episode was that opportunity to let loose mm -hmm. and not prepare too much, not prepare too much and talk about what makes Shakespeare memeable, mm -hmm. what makes memeing Shakespeare accessible for everyone. Yeah. And how does this work we do in academic spaces with articles and journals and the podcast, the podcast intersect with theater practitioners, education, making Shakespeare something that's not up on a pedestal and inaccessible. Mm -hmm. And this is like one really wonderful conversation with great guests who do just that work. 
Yeah. Some wonderful time spent with like some Shakespeare internet celebrities, if there's such a thing. Yes, that is correct. Key players in Shakes Talk. Yeah. And with that said, here are our guests for this episode. Emily Jackaway is an actor, writer, and lifelong Shakespeare nerd. She earned her BFA in drama from New York University's Titch School of the Arts, where she studied Shakespeare at the Classical Studio. She is a former contributing writer and social media manager for Shakespeare and the literary education website No Sweat Shakespeare, which strives to make Shakespeare accessible for audiences and students. She also hosted their podcast, Scurvy Companions, which discusses Shakespeare in all his facets with actors, writers, directors, scholars, stage combat professionals, and more. Favorite past roles include Juliet, Puck, and Iago. Carson Brackey is a PhD candidate at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and is writing her dissertation on representations of hospitality in early modern English literature. In addition to hospitality, her research interests include domesticity, food studies, and women's writing. To break up the solitary work of dissertating, Carson uses her TikTok platform to talk about early modern literature and the PhD experience. You can find her at Glutenberg Bible, where she's always looking to chat with more people about research, academia, and the weird and surprising sides of early modern English literature. Michaela Mannix considers herself a jack of all Shakespeare. She is the artistic director of Bowls with the Bard, Denver's stoned Shakespeare company, and she hosts their podcast. Michaela is also an actor and content creator. You can find her making memes and working towards 10,000 hours of Shakespeare practice at at 10K Shakespeare, that's 10K Shakespeare, on TikTok and Instagram. Up next for Michaela, Bulls of the Bard is producing Stone Cymbeline in Denver at The Coffee Joint, February 22nd through 25th, 2024. Stephanie Cragnola has spent a very long time yelling about Shakespeare and how to start making it fun, accessible, responsible, and engaging for people who live in the 21st century. She has her MA in Early Modern English from King's College London, where she learned nichier words to yell with. Now, she hosts the Protest Too Much podcast at P2M Pod, a Shakespeare showdown with a new guest each week and runs Walking Shadow Shakespeare Project at WS Shakes a company focused on interactive educational performance opportunities and one-rehearsal pop-up productions. Her favorite play is Cymbeline because she thrives on chaos and being extra. Mia Escott is an assistant professor of English, rhetoric, and writing at Barry College. She joined the faculty in 2022 after receiving her doctoral degree in English from Louisiana State University. An Alabama native, she graduated from Auburn University and the University of Montebello. Her research and teaching interests include early modern British literature, Renaissance drama, Shakespeare, early modern race studies, critical race theory, and women's and gender studies. Trevor Buffoni went viral in 2019 and hasn't looked back. His work using TikTok and Instagram with his students has been featured on Good Morning America, ABC News, Inside Edition, and Access Hollywood, among numerous national media platforms. His work as a social media expert has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, Forbes, The Atlantic, and NPR. 
Trevor has published two books on social media and popular culture and has two forthcoming books exploring theater making on social media. Oh, and he does the Shakespeare thing too. He is the co-editor of Shakespeare and the Tinidad and is currently co-writing a book on Yassified Shakespeare. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for our roundtable discussion of Shakespeare and social media. We are going to go around and have everybody introduce ourselves to our listeners. All right. I am Mia Escott. I am an assistant professor at Berry College. Hi there. I'm Emily Jackaway, and I have run the No Sweat Shakespeare podcast and social media channels for a while. Hello, I'm Stephanie Craniola, and I am the host of the Protest Too Much podcast slash TikTok slash Instagram empire, dare I say. (laughs) Hi, I'm Michaela Mannix. I'm the artistic director of Bulls with the Bard, and I run a TikTok called 10K Shakespeare. Hi, I'm Trevor Buffoni. I'm in Houston, Texas, and with my collaborator, Danielle Rose Valley, we are Yassified Shakes on TikTok. Hi, I'm Carson. I am a PhD candidate, and I am on TikTok as Glutenberg Bible. So for all our panelists, what drives or drove you, inspired you to start creating Shakespeare content on social media? So I started posting on TikTok a couple of years ago because I was preparing for my qualifying exam for my PhD and I had just moved and I was starting to work completely abroad. And so I was just kind of doing all this academic reading and thinking in isolation. And I basically just had a lot to say. And my partner is very lovely and listens to me talk all the time, but I thought I might want to talk to more people than just myself and one other person. So I got on TikTok and started making videos about what I was reading about. I've been doing TikTok since 2018, actually, when it came out in the U.S. on my own. So Dr. Buffoni has his own social media presence. And then about a year and a half ago, Danielle and I, we were just starting to work on this idea of Yassified Shakespeare. And she very much pushed this idea of us documenting the process of writing a book on TikTok. And I very much did not want to have another TikTok account. (laughs) But me being me. I was down for the experiment. And so in the last year or so, we started September 2022. We're small, but we're mighty. We've grown to over a thousand followers. So we now have the link in the bio. Visit our website, yassifiedshakespeare.com. And really, we just saw this as a way to educate graduate students, early career faculty about the processes, the really the hidden curriculum of academia and how to write a book and also share the research that we're doing. So as we're writing this book, we're actually putting out content that is based on the chapters we're writing, the presentations we're giving. And we're also creating the memes and the funny stuff. I don't know if we're as funny as different people in this conversation, but we're having fun with it nonetheless. Um, I had a major resistance to starting to make content about Shakespeare on TikTok. I think partly because I was a petty millennial who was like, this is just fine. Um, (laughs) And then also because in high school, I was addicted to making YouTube videos. So I think there was this part of me that knew once I got in, it was done, like I was in. And in 2020, I was in a Zoom production of Macbeth. And our director asked those of us who were playing the witches to make witch talks. 
And until about a week before the production, nobody did it. So I was like, well, I'll bite. I'll try. And since then, I've been totally in love with it. Like the short form memeage on TikTok for me makes my life better. It gives me something to do. And it's a great way of connecting with other Shakespeare lovers. Yeah. Yeah. So I taught high school for 13 years and I previously was quite precious about Shakespeare. Like I think a lot of people in the world and history have been. And starting to, as soon as I started teaching, like all of that just left because you can't be. And so I did, a, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I could inject some of my absolutely chaotic personality <laughs> into the thing that I love the most. And so that's how Protest Too Much started because I am not going to make a Shakespeare podcast that is as well informed or educated or researched as like Shakespeare anyone there's so much work that y'all do for your show and I was like I want to do a podcast but I don't want to do any work (laughs) and I have a a really long improv background so I decided that I would just make my guests do all the work bring me both sides and I would just kind of you know yell about it and that freedom of being able to prepare has helped me with my theater company Walking Shadow because there just is no prep you can just, we do one rehearsal shows, you just show up and whatever you've got for your lines learned, you just do it. You got to trust the other people that they're going to have, you know, committed to this thing and they're going to follow through on it. It's very similar for protest too much as well. So it's a lot of me letting go of control, which was an exercise that I desperately needed to do. Yes. So for me, it was the start of the pandemic and I was looking for ways to bring the things I love. So theater, writing and Shakespeare into like my tiny apartment. And I started up a reading series with friends um, where we read a different Shakespeare play every week for over a year and all over Zoom, all over the country. And we were having so much fun with it. Our our rules were like voices, not choices. Like we had Richard III as a surfer dude. Like it was great. And I was like, I want to keep doing this. I want to bring writing to it. So I started, I wrote a piece about like what quarantine breads different Shakespeare characters would make in like May 2020. And then I was looking around and I was like, I'm just going to send it off. And I emailed No Sweat Shakespeare and I was like, hi, I don't know if you're looking for writers or anybody, but here's what I've got. And they emailed back and they were like, actually, yeah, that'd be great. They're wonderful. It's a father and son team in the UK. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's do it. And then I said, you know, I can also do social media if that would be helpful. And they were like, yeah. And I realized that making memes and quizzes and all of that was this perfect encapsulation of what I felt Shakespeare should be in that moment and always, which is fun and accessible and able for everybody to enjoy it everywhere. My students are the reason that I am on TikTok. I think I was just talking to Stephanie about this earlier. (laughs) If it wasn't for my students, I would not be on TikTok whatsoever. I did not understand it. It took me so long to create my account. But once I got started, the video started rolling off. So they really inspired me to come on here and give them a visual of what we're reading in class. And I got on TikTok around this time last year. So full circle moment right now. Yeah, my students also are the reason I got on TikTok. (laughs) I remember they wanted me to create an Instagram account first and were acting like I'd never heard of Instagram. And I'm like, I was on Instagram when you were in diapers. (laughs) So (laughs) 
So we have a group of educators and social media content creators. Do you find yourself drawn to more educational content or memes when creating your content or educational memes? I'll say I think educational memes is the best way to put what I have tried to do. And I should say, I'm so sadly no longer with No Sweat Shakespeare. Did it for a few years, but I, I absolutely loved it. But what I was trying to do at the time was create memes that make you laugh and learn at the same time, and also usually linked to blog articles. So made a meme that then linked to a whole article about original pronunciation and included a lot of stuff about like Pirates of the Caribbean, like, you know, stuff like that. But I think the best example of this kind of educational meme was like the meme where i mean there's different formats where the guy is yelling in a girl's ear there's one at like a music festival where the girl is yelling in the guy's ear and yeah and i had i had it say uh the girls yelling in all caps when julia says wherefore art thou romeo she means why are you romeo because it's about his name and how she's sad he's a montague which is definitely something that i've gone on about to uh the annoyance of people around me so those <laughs> Those kinds of things where you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. But also it's it's funny. I think that that's how Shakespeare can be engaged with by, with these teens who, you know, are on TikTok, they're on Instagram. That's how they're going to want to learn more. Well, we actually find that the content that we post on TikTok that is the most successful is the explicitly educational content where we are, we call it our talking heads videos, right? Where we are literally teaching something, uh, whether it's a concept that we're writing about or just a weird thing we're thinking of. And also educational, like loosely defined. One of our best, you know, view, most viewed videos is the Romeo and Juliet is the Olive Garden of Shakespeare plays, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is kind of educational in a way, but it's sort of like the opposite of what we originally had imagined because we thought, oh, well, We'll do like TikTok dances and we'll do trends and we'll do, you know, those sorts of silly things to like attract eyeballs. But actually no one that follows us seems to care about that stuff. And it's really uh, been interesting because it's the opposite of my own personal account, which is about 20% educational, uh, loosely defined. And the things that do really well for me are storytelling and, you know, the trends and so on and so forth. But for Yossified Shakespeare, it's very much an educational space. And we create memes, but at the end of the day, like, I don't think we do it as well as other people in this conversation. So I find that the content we do the best is the stuff that is the explicitly educational stuff. Because I know like 10K Shakespeare over there is not playing with the memes, y'all. <laughs> do not compete. <laughs> oh, no. No, please compete. Please compete. <laughs> There's room for everyone. <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll piggyback off of that because that's so funny. I feel I have the opposite effect where I'll try to post the educational content and it just doesn't work. It doesn't pop off. So I lean into the memes and really love to use them to explore what Shakespeare can be in the subtext. Like an example for me, for a long time, I was playing with the character Bianca the Bimbo. And it was just like expanding upon this character in the canon who we really don't get a lot of information about but we get just enough that we can take bits of that and make something bigger with it and people really like connected with that and had a fun time with that and for me the value in that is like 
I didn't love Shakespeare until I had the exact right teacher. I didn't have a teacher make it fun for me until like junior year of college. And so it really excites me that my audience tends to be like high schoolers who are just reading this play for the first time and who see my meme about Olivia being a lesbian and are like, yes, oh yes, I hadn't considered this. And now they're excited about Shakespeare. Yeah, so memeage for me. <laughs> and just drawing off of it, how you were saying that you want a teacher that's almost in the sense engaged and fun. That's one of the primary reasons why I lean towards like educational memes. I want my students to see me as this authoritative figure, but also as someone who can have fun, let loose in the classroom. I think that it's important for me to show myself as someone who is much like them. Like, I can be on TikTok. I could be funny. We could come in class and we can make Shakespeare educational and fun. We can have a fun time learning this difficult play. And I lean towards both. I like to be a little more funny because when I'm reading plays and when I'm writing papers, I have to be more professional. I have to be an academic. But TikTok allows me to have the space to let my hair down a little bit. Yeah. And on that, like, I know me, I was just talking to you about this, but your videos are so funny. And then it's like a sneak attack education because all of the captions are quotes and context. And I'm like, it blows my mind because you, you get them in laughing and then all of a sudden we've learned something together. And that I think is the perfect, like, surprise, it's educational. <laughs> For me, I don't know if you could call what I do educational or a meme. I think it's just chaos. <laughs> I think it's just educational maybe is probably what I lean towards because I think a lot of times on the show, we talk about characters that don't necessarily get a lot of airtime. Mostly when people are trying to punk me, there was one time I when my guest was like, oh, you're going to argue for King John. And I was like, cool. King John synopsis <laughs> Shakespeare who is King John uh and it was the only time that I was really like stumped but I love that and that's really fun for me because I get to learn about characters that I don't necessarily know a lot about and then in turn in a fun like approachable way our audience like gets to learn about them in a modern context as well so I guess educational I also feel like I fall like somewhere between like humor and education especially like since I'm like using TikTok largely to like as an outlet for my academic work, since I moved on to like dissertation writing, I feel like I mostly am posting kind of videos of what that work day looks like. And so I will post, you know, a little joke about Macbeth or, a, you know, educational video about Macbeth, but also like a little walkthrough of like, okay, here is what it looks like just the mundane work of like, I'm studying Macbeth today. And here's what that looks like to be sitting down and reviewing and writing and rereading and that kind of stuff that I, it's like almost a little bit boring, but for some reason, those lately for me have been the videos that people have been responding to very well. And I feel like that is partly because of that really cool thing of TikTok where it just like, it kind of lifts a veil from some things and like just puts a little transparency on something that, you either didn't know about or never thought about before. Like when I'm scrolling on TikTok, I get sucked into videos of people doing all these jobs that I didn't even know existed. And I'm just like, wow, that's really cool. That's what it looks like to make candles or whatever. And I think that people do kind of find it interesting sometimes to see like 
this is just what it looks like to be a person who's studying Shakespeare for their job. I think we can all agree too that Carson has the most aesthetic TikTok of mm-hmm. I don't know all of TikTok. I I watch your videos and I'm like, oh, what a wow! Absolutely. Everything is just such a beautiful aesthetic. I've been heavily influenced. Well, academia is fifty percent aesthetic, you know. <laughs> I've been heavily influenced to like get a bourbon barrel for my uh, bookshelf. Same, it's right there. Yeah, I'm like one day <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Also, I must say, Carson, we love the soft partner reveals, uh, but we want more partners <laughs> because I he mean, is in the background right now. Actually, he, but... he's, pretty, <laughs> he's pretty handsome. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Made me blush now. <laughs> we um, very much appreciate a thirst trap at Yossified Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can enlist him for some educational content. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm a little embarrassed at that reveal. (laughs) We were all thinking it. You were just the brave one to say it. That's what I thought. So, Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that the interesting thing about that question is that it does feel like there's always this separation between like Shakespeare as academia and, and Shakespeare as entertainment. And the interesting thing to me is that Shakespeare is pop culture. It always has been. In the 1600s, it was pop culture. If they had memes in 1603, they'd absolutely be doing a Barbenheimer-type bit about Richard III and much ado. Like, and it was only after his death that Shakespeare and his plays came to represent this kind of exalted genius and nationalism that makes them feel so elitist and untouchable and academic today. I was reading about this recently in The Great White Bard by Farrah Cream Cooper talks about that really, really well. But it's I feel like it's it's necessary to make them accessible through showing this is what they always have been. It's not, you know, reductionist to make them into memes. It's not dumbing them down. It's making them pop culture and theater and the entertainment of what it was then into what it is now. It's still fun and it always has been. It's not so untouchable so that's what i love about creating that kind of content and that all of you here create (laughs) yeah and i was gonna say earlier that that's one of the fun things about tiktok and memes and instagram is it's like utilizing the cultural moments to explain and share shakespeare like that one meme that you're talking about with like uh the gal yelling at the guy like there are so many iterations of that. And because it exists in our cultural moment, we can then use that to tell Shakespeare. And that's why it's very fun taking some of your memes and using it for Meme Monday. <laughs> and that's not to say that Shakespeare isn't genius and worthy of study, obviously. <laughs> that is obviously also what we all do. It's just, I think, combining the two is more enjoyable and necessary than I feel like a lot of people, especially high school students, which is who I feel like we're often talking to realize that it is. I think we're circling around this question of like what makes Shakespeare so memeable. And Mm -hmm. Emily, I love the idea of like, it's the cultural currency of memes meeting the Mm -hmm. cultural currency of Shakespeare. Because Shakespeare is also a cultural currency that we exist in and that we reference all the time. I'd love to invite more thoughts about like what specifically about Shakespeare makes that intersection so possible um, and makes these two cultural currencies interchangeable or uh, comparative. I mean, he touches on everything. 
right? So it's so easy when I'm making a TikTok and I recognize that something is trending. Listening to the sound, it generally only takes me one or two lessons to have four or five ideas of different characters that I could match with whatever the theme of that sound is. Yeah. And I feel like there are very few niches that that is actually the case for, where you can just like pluck from any given place and there is generally low-hanging fruit that you could you could take if you wanted to, but there's also like generally some silly kind of really clever joke that you can also make too. Yeah, I mean, like, I hate the word universal. People use that a lot to describe Shakespeare, but he is very close to that. I think that part of what makes Shakespeare memeable is the people on this call and the people who, you know, have brains that take those sounds and associate them because we like to talk a lot about how uh, Shakespeare is very representative of humanity and relatable, but it's not. You have to do a little work to get it there. Like, we have the responsibility to take it and make it something that is relatable to a high school student or to a modern audience. Like, that's on us. And like Michaela said, it's so easy for us to find those little nuggets. And then when we share them out, that kind of opens up a conversation and it opens up an accessibility that may not have been there for the audience before, because as much as we know it's relatable, like we have to do the work to relate it. And that's why memes are such a good avenue for that, I think. Absolutely. And to piggyback off of what both of you said, TikTok memes work so well because everyone has their own baggage that they're bringing into watching that video <laughs> you know, with, right? So for instance, you have uh, whatever the soundbite is, we automatically associate it with something. And so even people that might not understand Shakespeare or care about Shakespeare will watch our content and get something out of it, right? Because of those sounds, they're so like ingrained in our thoughts, right? Like right now, like the surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> even if you don't know the, you know, the plot of Hamlet, if you watch a video where it's, you know, Hamlet's father coming back from the dead as a ghost, right? To, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, kill my brother. People will will laugh at that, right? Because it's something that's relatable. And um, that's something that really, I think, TikTok is doing really well. And I have this, I don't, I have not studied it, to be honest. But I think there's something that is in the wiring of our brain that makes the sound memes go so much further and have more of a life than, say, these Twitter memes that last for, like, a day, for the most part. I also like that TikTok. Does anyone remember Vine? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the six-second clips. I also like that TikTok gives you the opportunity to make these clips and make them brief. I know my students are always like, yeah, I don't understand this, but I don't want to read through the entire act to try to get it. And so if I could put a snippet of it in 10 seconds and they understand, oh, this is what they mean. The people are angry or Macbeth is really going crazy. And I could show that in some type of performance. I think that definitely opens up the door for students to be engaged with the play and the text a little more. On that, I think, I mean, there are a million reasons why it's so memeable. One reason I think is the feeling of pressure that so many students and, and everyone kind of sometimes feels with Shakespeare. Having, you know, the dichotomy of that with a really funny meme that, you know, is so not, you know, academic. It's, there's this release 
that kind of a catharsis where you're like, oh, okay, it's funny because you're taking something so highbrow with something so lowbrow, supposedly, and then kind of reconciling the two. It's funny and it's enjoyable. But then something else I think just within the plays themselves is the characters are so clear and so applicable to, you know, again, universal is, is often used, but to circumstances, to people today. Um, and, you know, I had a thing for the last like three Met Galas. I um, took different Met Gala looks and said which Shakespeare characters they were. And it wasn't hard. <laughs> Every look, it was like, oh, perfect. Yes, David Levy there is Ariel because look at this. He's got, you know, an ocean type theme or like whatever. It's so easy to pinpoint those characters and see them in everybody today that I think that makes it our job both easier and more fun. Yeah, kind of going along with what you were saying and also kind of near what you were saying about how short the videos are. I feel like one of the things that works so well is that with a Shakespeare meme, you get to isolate some very small piece of what are huge texts mm. that, you know, even there are plays that I've read 20 times and sometimes I'll go back in and go, oh, I've never thought about that scene or that stage direction or that exchange of lines and uh, making like short videos or memes about Shakespeare lets you just like isolate just one little piece of it in a way that's like really satisfying for people very familiar with Shakespeare to think through, but then also for people who are unfamiliar with Shakespeare, who maybe if they read Romeo and Juliet 10 years ago or two weeks ago, they just skimmed over it and didn't really pay attention to every part of it. But now they see this one video and they say, oh, yeah, wait, I never thought about that tiny little line in that one scene. Mm -hmm. So it brings something new to small pieces, I think. One thing that I want to mention as well from what you all are saying is like on paper Shakespeare's lines can be so not specific mm. but through the embodiment of performance and the embodiment of a sound clip or an image it's a nice invitation to like specify what these moments are and make them clearer for people who don't go and like say oh what is this reference to this cultural figure from 1600s that is isolated from my experience today as a person who lives in the you know 2023 so that's another thing I think about is it like brings to life these moments that can seem dense or distant otherwise. Yeah, I'd love to hear from the teachers here on that, because I feel like what's so often missing when teaching Shakespeare is that it's just looked at on the page, and that's not how they were originally performed, and it's not how they're most engaging. And so seeing it in performance, and then also I imagine seeing it through TikToks and things like that, where it's actually being spoken and brought to life is much different. So I'd love to hear what the teachers in here think about that. <laughs> well, I will go first, and then Mia will say something very much smarter than I will say. Uh, but <laughs> I actually hated Shakespeare for <laughs> mm. a very long time because I learned it in an English classroom. And my hot take that's probably not so hot for this podcast is that when you learn it in an English classroom, I'm talking like middle school, high school, right? It's just not the way it was meant to be learned or studied. Because it's a living thing. It's theater. And I actually didn't come around to Shakespeare until I saw a production, you know, of Richard III, that really, like, showed me, like, what Shakespeare could be, right? And then sort of set me on this path that I am on now. But I find so much of what's interesting to me about Shakespeare is how people are adapting it, how it's being remixed in pop culture, on social media, and memes, 
in film, so on and so forth. And I think if young people engaged with Shakespeare in the way that we're talking about now, but also in a playful space, right, where they're not just reading something on the page that they do not understand, I think it could be revolutionary for the field of Shakespeare, which isn't necessarily struggling. I mean, Shakespeare is being done <laughs> all over the place all the time for many different reasons. But I think 100% what you're saying, Emily, and Mia probably has something far more intelligent to say about, oh. you know, in the classroom. I don't actually teach Shakespeare <laughs> for the most part. Oh, no, I don't know if it's going to be any better because you did a really great job. <laughs> oh, no pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> no, but a big part of my presence in the classroom, I am a Black woman. And so I am always come into a space as a marginalized individual. And so for me, how can I make this text that doesn't even seem like it's written for me seem accessible to other people? And I was just acknowledging the different backgrounds and the different lived experiences coming into my classroom. And how can I get everyone involved? And I think my my identity plays a really big part of that. Just me being in the front of the classroom in this body that I am as a Black female professor, that's already something. This is another story for another day. But then to add on that I'm now teaching Shakespeare when people would have thought like, oh, I thought you were the African-American lit professor. Like, <laughs> No, surprise, surprise. <laughs> but here I am, I'm teaching Shakespeare. And how can I break down this this early modern language in a way that you can absorb it and retain it? I teach the foundational courses. And so a lot of my students are just there to get a grade. They are not English majors. They are not even English minors. And so they're just like, what can I do? to get the highest grade possible without doing the least amount of reading. And so mm. I try to stay on track. I try to introduce them to text that has these marginalized individuals. You read Romeo and Juliet. We're not going to do that here. Let's look at some other characters, someone that you can possibly identify with and someone that you can find engaging and entertaining. And we try to step out of the box a little bit. Yeah. So as someone who did teach high school English for a very long time, I did a lot of not reading Shakespeare in our Shakespeare unit. So I pretty much did everything but reading it. I, when we did, you know, intro to iambic pentameter, we were outside playing hopscotch to Taylor Swift or Lizzo lyrics because they are in iambic pentameter or trochaic tetrameter. Like you hear the rhythms. It's why they get stuck in your head. And that's what I was stressing to my kids. Like, this is why we still read things like Shakespeare because he used these rhythms that are still being used in modern music today. And we would watch, you know, an act of Romeo and Juliet. And then I would say, what was the most exciting part for you? What was your favorite part of that section? And then we would look in the text for that. So like, here's, let's read it on paper. The part that stood out to you. Can we see in the text why that stood out to you? Things like that. So I don't teach anymore, but I still do with Walking Shadow. We have an interactive education performance thing. And so... It's five actors, and then the rest of the roles are done by students. So it's an interactive thing. They get their cue scripts. They get their little costume pieces. So they're seeing Romeo and Juliet are acting these famous parts of the play that they can recognize. It's rehearsed in that way, but they also get to be part of it. So it's not just a watching experience, and it's not just a reading experience. It's like a little bit of both. And so it's a really fun way to like get them on their feet and be a part of it without too much pressure. Like you're not putting all of this pressure on two kids being Romeo and Juliet for the entire 
play because that's stressful. They're abridged. They're like 45 minutes and it's a fun way to kind of get a mix of experiences going. That's so cool. I love that. <laughs> it's very fun. It's very silly. I think though, the thing in terms of education is at the end of the day, I've taught from third grade to university and students more and more do not want to read. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I teach at Rice University right now, one of the top universities in the country, and it's a struggle to get them to read. And so I think anything we can do to engage them with literature in a way that is maybe off the page or have them play the hopscotch or not hopscotch, uh, but like Stephanie was saying, or using these memes, having students create their own social media content that engages with mm -hmm. the plays can actually go a long way in getting them engaged in the actual literature on the page. Yeah, one thing that I've started to implement in my class, I split my students up into groups of five, and I just give each group an, an act. You're not responsible for reading the whole play, but you are responsible for teaching your act, and hopefully you teach it well so your peers mm -hmm. can understand what happened in act one so they can see what occurs in act two and see how it's connected. It's almost it's almost like the game telephone. Like, act five ended like this, but it didn't start off like something was missing. What did you all miss from you know, explain it to your group. <laughs> That's a really fun, like, context. Like, uh, creating an act five uh, without knowing acts one through four yeah. is such a <laughs> wild experiment to have, like, these characters. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is definitely the bad guy. And they're watching the beginning. They're like, why is he so happy? Why is everyone so happy? We hate him. Right. I think if I would have done that, we just got down with Richard II. Everyone's like, oh, Harry isn't a bad guy. And it's just like, oh, he's kind of evil from the beginning, but it's, it's up to you. I mean, if you feel that way. <laughs> That's awesome. So we have a very TikTok heavy group here. So one of my questions was initially like, do you create content for one platform more than others? And if so, what is it specifically about that platform? With TikTok, we've talked about like the ability to make like short videos and things just like really quick and accessible. I also want to talk for a minute that like there is this Shakespeare talk community. And what is it about that community that is unique to TikTok? Well, so I do a lot of research on this, both with Danielle and on my own. But TikTok, what it does that no other social media platform does is it really brings people together in these really tight-knit communities by way of the algorithm. So for instance, because my students will be like, well, not my students today, but my students a few years ago would be like, well, Tumblr did this. Uh, and Tumblr was awesome. And we were all probably in this room for the most part on Tumblr in some capacity. But on Tumblr, you had to go find that community. Uh, you had to figure out the like entry point to that community. And on Shakespeare talk or Shakes talk on TikTok, whatever the community might be, TikTok gives you that community. It brings you to that community and it knows about you before you even know about yourself. Sometimes I teach LGBT studies and I have students every semester who will tell me, I learned I was trans on TikTok or I learned that I was a lesbian on TikTok or whatever it might be. It happens all the time because TikTok knows us better than we know ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so for Shakes Talk, I think that's what's powerful is that it inevitably finds those audiences. It finds those people that are interested in the content we're creating. It brings us together. And I think I feel like we've all probably done social media for a long time individually. And I've, I did the aim and the AOL and MySpace and all that stuff as well. But this feels entirely different in my opinion. 
I agree. I, I think there's a level of authenticity on TikTok that you didn't get to see on Instagram or Facebook. While you can still curate your content, like I definitely have times that I repeat the same sentence 16 times until I say it the way that I want to say it. It's still me saying those words and it's still coming across in a way that is easier to communicate than it would be if you were typing. You can hear the tone of whatever somebody has to say. So even if the words might have felt sharp on paper, they might feel a little fuzzier. And I think that's really lovely. Like pre-pandemic, I was so invested in the Instagram culture of like, I have to go out and take a picture of myself everywhere I go. And that's actually the purpose of going to that place is to take that picture. And TikTok is not that. TikTok is like, oh, I'm at this soccer game. And actually, like, I could make a meme out of the soccer game right now. That would be fun. It feels so much less like needing to project a persona. And in the same way, it feels so much less like you're receiving a persona from the people that you're watching. And it makes it so much easier to feel like uh, like half the people in this room I've never met in person, but I feel like I know them. I really like what you uh, mentioned about like the difference between like, oh, I'm going out. So I need to like take a picture of me in this place and prove I was there as opposed to like, I can make something out of this. And I feel like that is part of what is so fun about TikTok and that it is like invites people in, in a way of like, okay, like if I, I went to the globe, I am not posting a picture on Instagram to be like, nah, I went to the globe. Look at me. It's come with me to go to the globe. Let me show you what it looks like here. Let me tell you a little bit about what this theater is, what it means, what I do and why I'm here. And people respond to it in that way as well, instead of being like, oh, cool. I'm so jealous you were there. It's more like, oh, cool. That's so interesting. And I'm jealous you were there. (laughs) So I started TikTok I was like when you ask what platform I was podcast like that is my platform um and I did Instagram or I do Instagram and Twitter just like to promote the podcast TikTok I started because I thought it would be funny if I did a line of Shakespeare as Alexis Rose from Schitt's Creek (laughs) and that's that was my first video because I thought it was funny and TikTok has become for it's for me like it's only for me and people watch some videos do I wish they would watch more of like the content I spend time on rather than like me talking about my food allergies sure I would love that um (laughs) that that's what they care about every video I make is for me this month I'm doing national novel writing month I'm doing a video every day just for accountability it's for me it's not for you and I love the community that I found through it but like same with Shakespeare. I'm doing these things, like Michaela said, as they come to me, rather than like feeling a need to produce content. I'm just having fun. And I, I like that TikTok lets you just like do stuff for you. And if it show if other people see it, that's great. If they don't, okay, I like it. So that's fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of the opposite of the way we entered the social media world, right? Where MySpace, we literally were posting our top eight friends. Yeah. And, right? Mm-hmm. And Instagram, Facebook, we were connecting and it was sort of this mutual uh, the understanding that I'm friends with you or I follow you, you follow me. Whereas TikTok, 
I mean, I don't know who's following us. Like, and I think that's what we love so much. Danielle and I love so much about TikTok is from the beginning of our account, everyone that's following us for the most part is following us for our writing identity or we're writing a book on this topic, right? Whereas on Facebook or Twitter or whatever we're calling that today, it's very much like people that might like us and know us, but they might not care about the actual work we're doing. Whereas our TikTok community very much cares about the work we are doing, which is what excites us about it in the first place. That is such a great note to end things on is this idea of like TikTok brings us authentically together. As was said earlier, like it feels like we know you all, even though we've met previously, but to invite you on our show, it felt like the barrier to entry in a way was like, I kind of already know them and I kind of know what I want them to talk about because they have told me what they're interested in. And I think that one thing we've talked about is like why we make memes and why we make the Shakespeare content. And I think one thing that we haven't quite talked about is that people enjoy listening to people who are passionate and knowledgeable about a subject talk about the thing that they are passionate and knowledgeable about. Mm -hmm. And that's something that unites everybody in this room. And so I just want to say thank you all for your time today and for your thoughts. This was such a wonderful conversation to have. And just being in like the virtual room together was so much fun and sharing real time was fantastic. We want to try something, which is we usually end our episodes by me saying thank you for listening. We would love to try a group. Thank you for listening. It might be very chaotic and we might cut it. <laughs> Zoom's going to hate this. Zoom's, Zoom's going to face. absolutely hate this. So ready. Thank, thank you, you for you listening. listening. That was fun. We had fun nonetheless. I think it's staying. I think it's staying. Thank you for listening. I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone. Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button, like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash Shakespeare Anyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, shakespeareanyone.com, follow us on Instagram at ShakespeareAnyonePod, or Twitter at ShakespeareAnyone. For Twitter, that's ShakespeareAny and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. Hi there, this is Emily Jackaway, and this quote is from Henry IV, Part 1, and it is said by Hotspur. I say unto you again, you are a shallow, cowardly hind, and you lie. What a lack brain is this?